0: And we are so live, we're actually live.
1: We are We are live live.
0: Live live. Where as are compared, we? Yeah, digitally, as compared to digitally live, which is where we often are. Yes. We are so live, we are on scene live. And we've got security here. We've got, look at all these people who are keenly in tune with our message. Absolutely. Uh, they the, are the, just... We've got a big screen in the background like it's a the ballpark. And um, we are live, live live, although probably this won't come out live. No. but pretty pretty short after. We are at Dell EMC World 2017 in Las Vegas, and um, we are going to go ahead and kick this show off with a great guest.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So today, the goal of the show is to re-educate our listeners, the ones that are in the audience as well, on Mesosphere DCOS, or the data center operating system. So we had Thomas Rampleberg, on, I don't know, Brian, it was early on in the days, probably a year and a half ago, something like that. Um, but we want to know what it's like now that you guys are one year old. Uh, you had your birthday in, in April. And then we want to talk about some of the announcements that have come out from Dell EMC World, specifically with the Dell EMC Code team. So with us, we have none other than Stathi Tolumis from Mesosphere, you're the Technology Director at Mesosphere. Maybe you have some other title that you go around, Wizard of Mesosphere, something like that. But Southie, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here.
1: Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing at Mesosphere today.
2: Yeah, so I've been in uh, technology for about 20 years, uh, various roles, been in enterprise specifically technology for about 10. i uh, been at Mesosphere for two years, uh, previous to that, uh, was at several companies, um, uh, Most notably, Chef. So deep in the space, very familiar with infrastructure and operations and a lot of the changes that are going on, especially adoption of open source in the enterprise. Uh, So it's been a great run uh, here at Mesosphere. Things have just been going gangbusters over the last two years. Went from, I think I was 90th employee. uh, And in the three months before me, we hired, I don't know, 40, 50 people. So it was like really explosive growth. And now we're about 250. So really exciting. Um, and I'm working and managing the uh, technical team for strategic alliances and business development.
0: That's awesome. And you know what I what I like is okay. So you came on. You're you're a. Uh, I mean, you really took a risk, right? You came on pretty early, like three plus years ago, and were a solutions engineer. You know, really kind of going into customers. That that job sounds like you sat down with people and said, "This is exactly how Mesosphere is going to impact your business," right? Like you. That was custom, you to customer kind of relationship.
2: Absolutely, um, a little bit softer. Um, usually, want to spend a bit more time listening to their problems and then mapping to it. But yeah, absolutely, yeah. I, so yeah, I, I got a little excited <laughs> about your job. But
0: I mean, any kind of relationship like that is very consultative, right? So oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. And then you, you know, you moved into other parts. I mean, but you, you really enjoyed seeing the business grow. And one of the things I was, you know, wanted to get at there is how hard was the conversation three years ago versus today, considering it's, I mean, it's a similar product. It's obviously aged as well and has a much more diverse path, but how is that?
2: Uh, it's very different, but you know what, it's, it's, even today, it's, it's still changing very rapidly. Um, I think the space is still relatively new, even though um, f- for me, uh, it seems like almost commonplace. Um, it's sort of a some similar path, even, even at Chef and in other startups, uh, but this space with containers and um, microservice architectures and supporting the different um, new ways of doing things uh, seems to be drastically accelerating. Uh, and, and only only the adoption that is, uh, especially within the enterprise, and them wanting to move faster. Um, and I think part of that is business has gotten just so much more competitive nowadays. Uh, and they don't really have a choice, right? So. Um, either, either you adapt or, or you die simply. So, and it seems like most customers are taking, you know, the high road and trying to do what they can to change, even if it means culturally they have to change and process wise, they have to change and product wise, you know, looking for new, new ways and new things to to support them.
0: Yeah. And, and that, I mean, obviously I love, by the way, adapt or die. (laughs) I mean, I would probably choose adapt. Yes. I probably would. Of course. Yeah. Uh, so what about the education process, right? Uh, now compared to when you started are there things you no longer have to go by the way this is this and this is going to do this are there things that are kind of like now a standard and you've moved up the ladder into other parts of the education world for for people
2: yeah yeah great question and again i think um similar similar to other movements there's there's always the initial adopters um that may not require that much educating even even three years ago um we saw quite a few of those, not not quite on, on the scale that we're seeing today. Um, people who are willing to self-educate themselves and go out there and, and try and learn. Um, now the education is uh, a much larger magnitude, right? Hey, how do we apply this to our entire organization or all of our applications or all of our infrastructure assets versus maybe a specific group that was just sort of piloting these initiatives before? So,
1: Absolutely. So talk to me, you brought up culture earlier. Yeah. Um, that is such a huge part of moving into this kind of cloud-native world, this whole, you know, this this DevOps right thing, right? it's about culture. So how are how are you working with customers and developing that culture, and what are you seeing customers doing on their own to, to develop that? Because it's not easy to build that DNA for an organization that is very, very large.
2: Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, I think first, first and foremost, it's, it's really important to have strong leadership within those organizations. So people that the individual contributors can trust, but also people who are willing to make some of those changes and drive those changes to either executive leadership or higher up the food chain, right? And you know, part of our goal is to try and tap into those people um, and enable them as much as possible. So the obvious things... Um, around uh, helping them uh, more broadly change the culture in an organization obviously is education that's usually huge so helping them navigate the plethora of information that's out there and just kind of get an understanding of what might be better for them and it's it's kind of interesting what um, open source has done it's really sort of brought a degree of truth to when you interact with customers right and the more truthful and honest you are just and in in trying to support their success uh the more you can build that relationship and the more they're going to respect you as a vendor so sort of an interesting paradigm from 10-15 years ago uh as a vendor where you know most of the time you were just come in and it was like hey whatever you say just do it right here's a boatload of money and just figure it out whereas whereas now you definitely have to um have a degree of of truth and support
0: so he keeps, he keeps saying things that, like, literally, I feel like we could have an entire podcast about. like I mean, all these kind of nuggets of, of the, um, the the things surrounding the actual technology are whole conversations yeah. that are brilliant. So uh, you're obviously in the right spot, by the way. So that's clear. Yeah, I uh, didn't mean to interrupt actual good content, Brent. So you probably have a, a real question. I'm just gushing.
1: No, no. This is good. I mean, we've heard Adapt or Die. Truth and Support. Um, what I'm hearing is probably a lot of happy hours with with colleagues and uh, bringing the teams together. But um, um, how are you? How are you from a from a culture standpoint? Right. So, um, bridging the gap between developers and operators. Are you seeing? Uh, re- are you really seeing a shift to where um, developers are running their own code after they've deployed it, or is there? Less of less of that, maybe, uh, or, or I guess maybe just the infrastructure team is um, learning to code as well. Like, what are what are you seeing more of? Who's who's kind of taking the lead? Are they the developers reaching across the aisle, or the infrastructure team reaching across the aisle to the development guys?
2: Uh, see, see a bit of both. Um, but what's what's interesting to me is if you think about it's never just developer and operations, but those are seem seemingly clear personalities that have often conflicted in the past. And I think there's been a lot of movements to get software developers to be more like operations people or understand and vice versa, right? Operations people to learn how to code and stuff. And I think the underlying reason for that is very important, right? One is that is just empathy, having an understanding of what it's like to do the other person's job and and also just having a broader understanding of what it is you're trying to accomplish in the organization, right? Not just develop code, but actually get code that's running in a production environment that customers are interacting with and that are deriving some some degree of value to the business. Uh, But the reality is they're distinct personalities, right? Um, I used to be a software developer as well as a sysadmin, um, I gravitated more to software engineering, in part, I like being very creative and very flexible, and it's really hard to completely deviate from that, right? So um, I think that although there's a degree of empathy that's required and a degree of crossover that, that will inevitably happen, it doesn't necessarily scale as well, because you're talking about trying to change human behavior, right, and what's innate that makes somebody good at operations or, or software development, so... Um, yeah, I mean, you, 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 see software developers pushing more agility in the organization because they're trying to get applications out faster that the CEO wants. Um, and then again, you have operations people, uh, doing, doing the other, uh, trying to just bring more stability to those production applications. Right.
0: Yeah. And it's, uh, it's amazing. I literally was just talking to somebody this morning and, uh, they were talking about their development teams and their infrastructure teams and, uh, the development team was fresh off of a conference that was roughly three weeks ago. They saw a product, and that product will be in production next week. Meanwhile, his infrastructure team has a one-year plan for software-defining the infrastructure, right? Um, so they clearly have issues on getting their, inf- their on-prem infrastructure into uh, the future, right? Yeah. In- into where it needs to be. And so, you know, obviously you have a, this actually kind of reminded me, we are going to absolutely get to technology, but you reminded me another thing that I see over and over and over again, your software development background seems to allow you as somebody who is evangelizing, building relationships, um, credibly talk about kind of what software developers need to infrastructure operators, right? So you have, you're able to, you're doing something here. Is that a pretty common, is that like a requirement? Like if I know tons about infrastructure, but I'm okay at developing. Like, I'm okay is not a good word. Like, I'm <laughs> not okay. Um, so, is that what I'm, I'm lacking this code, like, this actual programming thing to help bridge the conversation to that person who really needs the outcome by using it?
2: Yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, it's, it's definitely helped me um, communicate, and especially just even over the last 10 years, seeing the shift and the drive in, in most organizations be more application focused. Uh, with really service focus, right? What are you trying to deliver at the end of the day? Um, but that value is usually mostly rooted within the applications, not necessarily within the infrastructure. So um, have, having that understanding has, has helped a lot. And also just the sort of impending doom or tidal wave of need to be more agile and to develop applications a lot faster um, irrespective of the fact that if you, if, 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 if you can't deploy or manage your infrastructure as fast, um, that's a problem, right? And, and that has to get resolved no matter what. It's not, no, 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 slow down, stop deploying applications faster. That's not, the business is going to inevitably go under. So, yeah. yeah. This is awesome. A year later, almost to the day,
0: and we're talking about empathy again and <laughs> talking about these, this amazing software development theory and um, I would hope I knew more by now. Uh, clearly, I need to go immerse myself. In the meantime, this is my, sh- this is my cheap and easy transition into immersing myself into, uh, frankly, your technology, into uh, you know, Mesosphere and the things you're doing. And um, while I was trying to fix my screwed up audio issues over here, um, <laughs> very screwed up. we're very transparent here, by the way, um, <laughs> you guys were having these ridiculously awesome conversations about, um, you know, the, the technology and frankly, the scale. I've gotta hear more about that, so Brent, I'm gonna let you do your thing.
1: Okay, so first of all, for I wanna get re-educated, right? Yep. On what Mesosphere and DCOS is, mm-hmm. and uh, how it's differentiated in the marketplace. So just kind of give us the elevator pitch, right? What it does, why we should care, and why your customers are adopting this technology.
2: Awesome, awesome. So I'll start by just mentioning Mesos, which is the core component Um, within dcos uh, and then i'll talk about how how it relates Um, and mesos the the easiest way to think about it is uh, make an analogy to operating systems or linux specifically right mesos you can think of as as the kernel of our operating system Um, you don't really interact with the kernel per se Uh, that's very similar um, to mesos especially nowadays in the broader marketplace right so um, back in the day, if you, if you wanted to leverage and use mesos, there was oftentimes a bit of engineering that would, that would need to take place for, for you to create a solution around it. So the whole goal behind Mesosphere and DCOS was to take a lot of those early best practices and patterns around engineering mesos, the kernel, um, to provide something that could be more consumable by the market, right? So either engineering our own other open source components Um, or leveraging other ones that were broadly used in the community um, and really creating a reference architecture that uh, could be trusted by our customers um, for the overall solution. And then they could just get to the brass tacks of deploying technologies on top of DCUs versus uh, working on engineering first a solution that they could then deploy their technologies to. So that's sort of the elevator pitch.
1: Okay. So um, then what are you uh, bringing to your customers as the DCOS right you have the ability to aggregate resources right mm-hmm. so if, just kind of break that down for me what um what does a customer need to have from an infrastructure perspective and then what are you what's the magic and what are they seeing on their end and what does that give them the ability then to do once they've deployed DCOS?
2: Yeah, so very simply, um, you just need operating system instances and Linux specifically. So we leverage the container functionality in the Linux kernel, um, soon to be you know, Microsoft as well. Um, and really, what our technology does is create a fabric, and although I hate using that word because it's such a marketing term, but uh, it, it works really well, right? It's like a, 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 a blanket that you're throwing over your infrastructure assets so that you no longer have to treat individual systems as individual systems, right? It's a single system now you could then deploy your technology to. And that greatly simplifies, one, how you manage your infrastructure, but also improves the resiliency of any technology that's deployed on top of there because it is completely decoupled from from the underlying infrastructure.
1: Okay, so the tagline on your webpage says, the best way to run containers and big data Mm -hmm. anywhere. So break that down for me, right? Containers means a lot of different things to different people. Mm-hmm. Not new, but um, certainly it's a buzzword, right? Yeah. And then big data—that's a very different thing than than the container world, the cloud native type of world. So how do those two things come together? Um, and then how are you kind of branding, rebranding yourself? Because this big data thing was new for me when I when I got onto the onto your web page.
2: Yeah, I think it's a, it's a subtle nuance, um, but it is one of the big differentiators for us. And part of that ties to uh, our, our core architecture, um, two-level scheduling, basically. And th- what that allows us to do is break apart how, one, we treat the infrastructure and how we pull it together, and then how a technology might leverage the pool of resources underneath it. Um, and the, the, the common term that we use is called a framework um, within the Mesos community. And really what that is is a way to represent the life cycle of a technology as it operates on top of Mesos and or DCOS. So it's a very powerful concept, right? It, it's, it's, it's a degree of automation, but it's, I would say, the next level of intelligent automation that we've been trying to get to within technology for decades, Right. Um, Haven't seen that since, I think, the mainframe days. So um, super powerful concept, but really what that allows us to do is not just support, say, container-based applications, but literally take a Cassandra or a Kafka or other data analytics-type technologies um, and then map their operation on top of DCOS, greatly simplifying and improving the efficiency of how those technologies are then leveraging the underlying infrastructure. So we like to think of... A uh, general way or an easy way to think about it is just sort of like a, it's a cloud-like experience that you're getting. Um, and it's drastically different than just what we've seen in the past in managing virtualization, right? You're literally, like, getting a degree of services that are now available to you and those APIs that are exposed, which is really what app, application developers want. And then they just have to go ahead and interact with, with those APIs.
1: Okay, so, um, so I can kind of break it down. You have hardware. Infrastructure, mm-hmm. servers, storage, um, compute, and then you have the DCOS. And then on top of that, you have frameworks. Frameworks for things like Kafka and Spark and Hadoop and Cassandra and whatever. Don't leave anybody out. Yeah, I gotta say more <laughs> things. Flink, uh, Flunk, uh, whatever. Flunk, <laughs> flunk. <laughs> So um, I hear a lot of kind of persistence or stateful type of applications. Yes. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: that's, that's been a, also a focus point which ties nicely to a lot of analytic solutions, right, that need to save state. Um, having that power, and that's, I think, you know, part, of, part of the reason why I'm here is, is you know, partnering with companies like EMC, Dell, uh, to, to provide and or leverage what they've done so well with, with storage and, and state um, and tie that into our technology.
1: So uh, that, that's a stark contrast, and then the world of containers really started and, and intended to be. There's this whole notion of it needs to be stateless and no persistence and all that kind of stuff. And we've seen this huge shift from left to right of of now I need persistence. So what, where where are we in that shift? And are those are those worlds very separate, or are we just is persistence becoming? Just kind of the norm, the status quo for containerized workloads.
2: Um, I think so, actually, and and it's not just container-based workloads or cloud-native type workloads. What, what's really happening, and I've seen this with with many different trends. Right as you mature across the marketplace, inevitably, what customers, large enterprises specifically, want to do is get the get the value that they're seeing, but only do so with previous assets or previous technologies that they and previous investments that they may have wanted to deploy, right? So there's a ton of technology that just exists in the enterprise, not going to go away um, that require state. And there's still a lot of value that customers may see with you know deploying that on top of say DCOS. Um, so by having the broader support um, and and or just in, sort of embracing what customers are demanding, um, you're able to provide a broader set of value, right? Versus just, hey, specifically in your greenfield, projects and implementations of newer projects.
0: Yeah. And so you, as we talk about this, what like we were thinking about, you are talking about state and things like that. I'm going to rewind a little bit. And, you know, you, we also talked about scale, right? The scale that you can handle. And the reason I'm asking about this is because, I mean, it's not like you're going to go, okay, well, I'm just going to manage state on this. You've got If you've got like 10 servers and managing state on 10 servers, now we've got to manage, you're talking about sometimes thousands and tens of thousands of pieces of infrastructure, and you got to manage state across that level of scale. It not just requires scale on your part, which you're pretty good at. It also requires a level of scale on the infrastructure side that is not as easy to manage, right? So uh, it you're going to have to collaborate with people where scale on the other side, on the server side, is also there from a storage perspective. Is that is that a good assumption, or am I way off the mark?
2: No, no, absolutely correct. But what's what's interesting sort of about our technology and just the movement in general with containers is you're getting a far higher degree of, of density um, on your systems in terms of workloads that you're deploying than we saw in the past, even with virtualization. So um, although there's, there's a degree of scale, um, there's still a lot more you're getting in, in the near term from from like existing assets. I think that's what's become so appealing for a lot of technology leaders because uh, they've been trying to do that for you know the better part of the last two decades. Uh, in, improve sort of the efficiency and utilization of systems. Go go from the average of like ten percent, much higher. Uh, and what's interesting, even even movement to the cloud, is primarily driven for the need for agility Um, but once customers get there they want that density even more because it's more expensive to be up in the cloud right so either way what what we're seeing is yes there's a lot more scale but it's it's i would say to the degree of what the applications and the technologies need to support Uh, you know we talked about the data and analytics unprecedented unprecedented type of uh, scale that those technologies are, are supporting um but also providing a degree of, of, of balance and uh, making it easier for them to get to that scale at the application level. Now, I'm assuming there's gonna be a next phase where once, once utilization of existing infrastructure, once we get used to the scale that we have today, um, yeah, there's probably gonna be another jump for whatever, ten thousands or hundreds of thousands of servers. is just gonna be like a drop in the bucket. <laughs> Yeah,
0: I remember back when uh, virtualization was first coming out, and they're like, "Well, you're going to sell way less servers in the world." Uh, not that I was selling them, but you know, oh, we're going to the server sales are going to plummet, and you know, virtualization is just going to ruin the data center and yeah. all these things. And I don't remember my data center ever getting smaller. Right. Like I never, even no matter what I did, I could never get it to be smaller. Uh, you, you know, you might have slightly changed footprints every once in a while. Yeah. I think getting rid of those like fully monolithic tape drive machines that, or like you know in, rule, in row cooling and things like that did it but frankly that all needs to be in somebody else's data center and some even if it's somebody else's physical infrastructure yeah, right yeah. so um, now your things are not going to get smaller you scale fantastically let's go ahead and talk about the you know the kind of announcement in the room right so um, you know frankly day three Josh Bernstein was just up on stage in the big keynote it's a super secret. But the things that were publicly, you know, out there and broadcast just now uh, is, you know, relationships between Dell EMC Code uh, and Mesosphere, right? Yeah, Amongst yeah. other things. So, go. Ahead, I mean, why? Tell us why would you collaborate with Josh? I mean, like, or you know, frankly, Dell EMC Code. Why did you choose to do so?
2: Uh, well, the reality is they're doing a great job, Josh. Josh in particular uh, with the EMC Code team. Um, it's it's a great use, uh, and supporting function for the community and open source in general. So I don't think it was necessarily a hard choice for us or anything. It was, it was just a natural choice. Um, in, in a previous life, Josh had experience with Mesos. Uh, so he saw the value and wanted to wanted to kind of help out and drive, uh, the the community that we were developing and, and, uh, what we're doing on, on the commercial side as well. So, so that really helped. Um, he was seeing a lot of the same things that we were i should say his team was from from the customers around the need for uh and desire for state so you know working early on with uh the team on on getting support for rex ray which is sort of just their storage abstraction layer uh was really valuable um and a lot of the initial demos we did with them uh, although conceptual uh, resonated a lot with customers, right? And it made a lot of sense in what we were trying to achieve. So then, it's yeah. only expanded from there. And yeah. so this
0: resulted in a reference architecture. Yes, it and, did. And that reference architecture is uh, Mesosphere mm-hmm. uh, and Rex Ray mm-hmm. and ScaleIO. Correct. Yeah. Uh, was ScaleIO also a choice by you or by, you know, kind of uh, the Dell EMC code team or how did how did ScaleIO become kind of the flagship of, of that portion.
2: customer driven, market driven, right? We actually had a few joint customers that were a- asking for uh the combination of the technologies, so it seemed to be a natural evolution from just doing the the general community integration to something a little bit more robust. Um and although it, it, I've seen customers get a lot more savvy over the years and improve like engineering concept competencies within the, their company. Uh, there's still a desire to know that a vendor kind of signed off on something, right? So if they've made a decision for uh, a number of technology components, knowing that there's backing behind that and support for sort of that integration and architecture uh, is a really good thing. So,
0: and I, you know, I'm naturally risk averse, right? You talked, you yeah. mentioned robust, and I heard it, and I'm like, I want to know what that means because I've heard this, and I, you know, if as a as an administrator, if I already believe in mesosphere and maybe I'm already using Rexray somewhere, and I've even maybe already delivered some scale I.O. somewhere. Um, what do you, what, what's been done to make this more robust or even deliver my additional trust in this architecture?
2: Yeah, well, it's it's just going back to the basics if you think about simple configuration that may have been needed and or tweaked in the individual technology components to get them to function maximally, right? Um, and I wouldn't say that we're necessarily done. That's, that's always going to evolve over time as we improve the reference architecture or even go to a, you know, a full on solution. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's at the end of the day, what, what people want to get out of the business of is, is tweaking and experimenting on their own. Um, they want to understand what was done, have a deeper understanding of that, but, uh, yeah, just get out of the business of messing around.
1: Very cool. So, um, yeah, just to kind of wrap wrap that up, the, the reference architecture, again, Mesosphere, Rexway for persistence mm-hmm. with ScaleIO on top of ScaleIO Ready Nodes, which are Dell PowerEdge servers. Um, so let's talk about, you guys just turned one the other day officially, right? Or not the other day, in, in April. Actually, four. Well, but I thought you guys had a, your one-year anniversary from going public with the product. That, um no two, no, two years, two actually, years. yeah. Well, it must have been an old article. <laughs> I'm a bonehead. It's
2: probably, it, it could be um, uh, the open source distribution came out after the commercial, so that's, that's what, that's, was it, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, that's what it was.
0: I think with uh, Thomas, there was an announcement of the open source. So, either yes. way, okay. just so you know, Brent's our fact checker. He's a really good at it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Brent's as so good at facts say. as I am at audio today. <laughs> Let's do this.
1: So, DCS, uh, DCOS 1.9.0 yes. GA. Uh, some new announcements that came out of that. So tell us about uh, some of the exciting stuff that came out of that.
2: Yeah, again, a lot of a lot of feature sets that um, were were driven by customers. There's obviously uh, just sort of the, the the standard improvements and bug fixes that you're making every iteration of the product. Um, we've also been heavily focused on security features and functions uh, that would be within the commercial product. Um, the uh, we also had the addition of uh, the pod sort of concept, which really existed previously to a certain extent um, within Marathon, being able to to aggregate and map dependencies between applications. Uh, but again, the market was sort of driving toward the, the pod concept that that came from Kubernetes, um, and you know we're going to listen to what our customers want and what the market wants, and we've implemented that so.
0: Yeah, so you, I mean, you, you uh, I mean, you, you said pods, and I was like, that's Kubernetes shtick, right? So it's a good shtick, but it's mm-hmm. uh, it's their thing and it's their story. Right. Um, you're saying you started from the beginning with a with a pods architecture, or was that something that was already in process as they they've gotten pretty popular, or was that again customer driven? They're like, we need. We need dependencies. We need groupings. We need those kind of things. Uh, where do the pods come from? I'm just, you know, very curious because that's pretty, that's a pretty cool advancement.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, that that definitely came f- from purely from customer demand, um, and I would say con- specifically like how pods are implemented or what they were expecting from this notion of a pod. Right? Um, th- as I mentioned, there there was a way to do groupings and stuff before, but it was just different implementation. So um, so yeah, that's we went ahead and went forward and made, made that implementation.
1: And it looks like you guys have a new SDK out, not mm-hmm. for public consumption just yet, but it's what you use to develop some of the new services and frameworks that you guys are using today.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a um, great ask. Uh, it's started um, with specifically to support the different stateful workloads, right? That that the most complexity in developing a framework was around building um, and or modeling for stateful, stateful technologies. Um, so, so having that SDK uh, implemented initially for, for supporting those stateful services drastically reduced uh, the development time for a lot of our partners. So again, not necessarily a feature set that was driven on the customer side but more from the ecosystem and the partner ecosystem and wanting to deploy and or develop their technology on top of DCOS and just making that easier. So the hope is to continue expanding that across the entire notion of a framework and just making that even easier to develop.
1: Cool. When do you think you'll release that then into the wild?
2: Uh, I'd have to check with our PM team on that. <laughs> no, but
1: we'll take a commitment from you. It's fine. <laughs> I'm sure you would. Yes. Uh, so small fee, small fee. <laughs> That's
0: awesome. Um, so are there there are there other you know we we obviously are pretty intellectually intellectually curious. Um, we you know we're we're very interested in your reference architecture. Um, are aside from this one, are there other reference architectures out there for those people who have existing infrastructures or have the need or whatever to help drive Mesosphere adoption. What else have you done to kind of get your, uh, you know, kind of your standards out there in different platforms?
2: Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're working with with a broad degree of partners. Um, you know, full transparency. The HP's a strategic investor. Um, we've done a lot with them on on many of their hardware platforms. Uh, they've been really great to work with. Uh, but also slightly uh, different different reference architecture um, was working with Microsoft. Right. Initially, we were uh, the key part of uh, their container service. So we worked with them and they helped dramatically uh, influence sort of the open source product that uh, was DCOS or the, the, the follow on iteration to DCOS to the commercial product. So in a way that was a, I would say a reference architecture for deploying DCOS up to you know the cloud so to speak. So, we kind of leverage that and use that across uh, various cloud providers, but they were they were sort of the first ones we work with to support us.
0: And do you have, uh, aside from here with uh, specifically with Rexray and ScaleIO, do you have other persistence frameworks that uh, people can leverage inside of Mesosphere for, again, their existing? I mean, people still have existing investments in storage or their platforms. How else are you supporting those kind of things?
2: Yeah. So, what what we're actually working on. Um, is is just an abstract component for hooking into various storage platforms and, and how we interpret and expose storage. Because really, we don't want to be a, a, another storage vendor. Um, what we want to do is be the platform for exposing the primitives of the underlying infrastructure assets, and that would include storage. So the more we can do that in, in a way that could be leveraged by the broader ecosystem, the better it is for everybody.
0: And since, I mean, again frankly educate me, I haven't even asked the the, uh, Dell EMC code guys, but uh, since Rex Ray is open source and frankly is intended to be extensible and is agnostic, you know, as far as storage is concerned, Mm -hmm. um, couldn't that be used not only for that scale IO reference architecture, but clearly you've proven out that it's going to be able to help people with other software defined frameworks, other traditional frameworks as well?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. Definitely. Cool. Uh, well, I mean, they're probably absolutely, you know, they're happy to help you and I'm offering on their behalf. So uh, <laughs> there we go. Um, so, y- you know, you've, you've shown us a lot of things, right? You've shown us the ability to, you know, this this idea of kind of the reference architecture and continue to scale, persistence, all those kind of things. Obviously, you taught us, you know, containerization, some of those things, um, big data and the ability to do all these, uh, you know, all the big data on your platform. Mm-hmm. Um, what else should we be thinking about? You. Like what else can what else are you doing for customers as you consult with them and partner with them? That's outside of those kind of three pods that I just mentioned, right? Not your literal pods, uh, types of technologies, right? So, uh,
2: well, I think I, I touched on it briefly, talking a little bit about the cloud, but really, really, what we're doing is making it easy um, to deploy and support specific technologies that are important for a customer, but do so anywhere. Uh, we've actually had a lot of customers that are that are software companies themselves, and they've leveraged us uh, as that abstracted way to normalize their own software deployment, irrespective of where that deployment might be, whether it's on-prem, a virtual environment, or, or up in the cloud. Uh, so, you know, the... the General marketing term is hybrid, hybrid cloud, hybrid IT. However, you want to term it, right? Really, really, it's just a, a more consistent mechanism by which you're managing uh, the lifecycle of your technologies. You know,
0: that sounds that sounds to me a little bit more like multi-cloud, where no matter what <laughs> yeah. type of environment you're in, you. I mean, frankly, the goal, and it sounds like to me, I would get a consistent kind of management experience and deployment experience no matter whose infrastructure I'm on whether it's mine or whether or not I've gone to Azure or I've gone somewhere else it's yes. kind of for me yeah. it's same tools same scripting same automation same infrastructure as code uh, and same fabric <laughs> same blanket <laughs> Don't um, use that word yeah no uh, but same experience generally across the board making it consistent is that is that really yeah. kind of one of those big promises?
2: Absolutely, absolutely, and and expanding upon that, making it easier to try out a lot of the newer open source technologies that may be critical in building out higher higher level solutions. You know, so analytics is probably um, the biggest piece of that. Uh, there's there's a lot of different technologies out there for for supporting some of the next generations of analytics, and uh, the easier we can make that for customers to consume, the better the better it is.
1: So we're gonna to go to analytics after this question. But my first question, because we're on the, the cloud world. Sure. I saw an announcement for DCOS on Azure Container Services. Yes. Um, they've already have Kates or Kubernetes and Swarm on there, but now DCOS is part of that. So tell me about that partnership. So
2: DCOS was was the uh, initial technology. Um, and in, in typical Microsoft fashion, they're doing a great job of embracing open source uh, and the ecosystem. Uh, so, the reality is their whole charter for, for 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 their container service is really giving customers choice right versus uh, the flip side some of their competitors um, specifically uh, don't necessarily do that right they're not necessarily wanting to embrace power partners or, or empower partners they want to control the control the platform and you know what there's there's I think value in both ways, it's just up to the customer to decide. Uh, but like I said, that partnership uh, with Microsoft has been great, they're also a strategic investor. Um, that specific reference architecture uh, for their container service really helped us sort of mature the open source um, product and get, get that off the ground, and they provided a lot of input for that, so it was great.
1: Cool, so now, analytics portion. Yeah. Um, part of the, uh, the, the announcement for the, the new code is the Alexio partnership, right? So tell us about Alexio, what that is. Um, from what I read, it was very much geared towards analytics and, and big data.
2: Yeah, so um, go, go, you know, tying, tying back to stateful and, and storage-based systems, um, for, for them, it, it's, it's a technology for making it easier to support those workloads, um, say, up in the cloud. So, again, for us, it's about choice, um, and where we're seeing customer demand for, for various different technologies, and that's one of them on, on the list. Uh, and it's probably worth noting we have, say, 70 to 80 um, partnerships. Um, DCOS sort of has its own marketplace, if you will. We call it the universe. And it's a place where partners can deploy their technologies uh, and basically implement a framework um, and then it makes it that much easier for customers to try out and get exposure to. So whether whether it's community driven, meaning there, there isn't like formal commercial support um, behind that implementation, or in some cases there are with some of our partners.
1: Cool. So there's um, clearly a bunch of coopetition, right? Okay. Uh, you guys offer a lot of things uh, that are inherent to the DCOS platform mm-hmm. um, that other things offer, right? So if we look at container scheduling and orchestration, like a Kubernetes mm-hmm. or a Pivotal Cloud Foundry, um, all those things work nicely with DCOS, but maybe they're not necessary. Um, so talk to us about that: when things are necessary and maybe not necessary, but also like what's what's missing from DCOS today that you kind of need the ecosystem to help you with some of those some of those things out there.
2: Yeah, so I think the first part, um, it's, it's, it's interesting because oftentimes getting, getting to the real reason why you might want to implement something um, takes a bit of time. Customers ask for all sorts of things, right? And sometimes they're asking for it just because they don't think they have a choice or they don't know that there's another path. So oftentimes um, really what we want to do uh, in, in in general is reduce complexity overall. So, if if customers asking for something, some sort of integration, um, in various various ways, we don't want to develop stuff ourselves. Like we don't want to develop uh, you know competitive frameworks or not just because that in and of itself, just a single technology, um, you know, big data distribution alone, it takes a whole company to do that. Uh, very. Very distracting, right? We want to just focus on the core platform, so it makes sense for us to constantly leverage partners, um, but also make sure, in the sense, like if 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 customers asking for Kubernetes or you know Cloud Foundry and having those things work together, uh, just making sure that the end result is what they're going to expect, right? In some cases, it does make sense to have it work together, and other cases, it does not.
0: And there's so like you you reminded me of as you're talking about kind of all those different you know mixtures of opportunities. If I remember correctly, um, doesn't, let, is it, um, it's either, I'm going to, I'm just going to shoot this out here. It's either Rancher or Platform 9. Uh, one of those essentially allow, or maybe it's both, allows for essentially easy deployment or, you know, redeployment yep, or Rancher. kind of consistent uh, deployment of your, uh, your platform as well as others.
2: Right. Right. Is right. It- yeah. And so, uh, it- Again, that's interesting. It's also why it's worthwhile for us to, to work on partnerships and even the reference architecture with uh, Dell EMC is, is is about that. It's about a standardized deployment um, and even perhaps a pre-ship mechanism that the customer can get versus having to go through the deployment and configuration process, um, even though we have installation tools and, and, and support ways for that. Um there's just there's just more speed that you can get by sort of having a prepackaged solution or something that's doing it for you.
0: Yeah, and with all the agility and all these kind of things, I'd be <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised at all if literally like uh, if it's not already done, like 45 days from now, uh, Rancher is going to come out and say we're we're automatically deploying uh, ScaleIO yeah. and Rex Ray. And, you know, and Mesosphere all turnkey, and you can pick it up, drop it, pick it up, drop it, yeah. do all those kind of things. It's, you know, it's kind of just really interesting how uh, the coopetition and the partnering and all these things really help the community.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and so and are, it's, it's yeah, a great thing that the customers are benefiting the most, I think. <laughs>
0: and as somebody who does alliances and those kind of things, do you, do you look at somebody like a Dell EMC code, and okay, we've, we've hit the mark with Rex Ray, things are going great. Are you now going through the rest of their portfolio of things, whether... Uh, You know, whether it be, you know, live storage and, you know, poly or rack HD and, you know, all copper HD and all that kind of stuff. And are you going, hmm, we're this is next and we're going to try this next. And I don't want to you can you're welcome to tell secrets. But are 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 those things that you're trying to do now next?
2: Absolutely. But uh, again, a lot of it of that sort of planning, preceded planning will will be based on customer demand. So usually that's where everything starts. And if the uh, skids are greased, so to speak, by already being uh, in partnership with an existing co- uh, company um, like the LMC, then yeah, absolutely, it's 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 going to make it that much more sense to just go go and attack those other product sets.
0: Awesome. So um, as we, you know, we talk. Go. Ahead. Did you have something,
1: for it? Because I, I didn't want to stop. No, no, no. I think we're good. I think we're good.
0: That's all, that's great. Um, so. Brent brought it up earlier, uh, analytics, all these kind of things. One of the other big conversations that everybody seems to be having um, is getting into things like machine learning, and which I also equate to, frankly, the architectures are similar for, for serverless uh, and things like that, where people, it's really just the concept of something spins up and comes away constantly and often to be able mm-hmm. to do something. Very ephemeral workloads that kind of just come and go. Um, are. Are you having a ton of conversations around that? Like, are people going, "Man, we need Mesosphere to be supporting my serverless environment." Um, this isn't Lambda functions, right? This is just somebody's going to open up a, a open up a container, run run a function, shut it down, right? Those kind of things. Uh, is that part of what you're already doing, or are you also working on facilitating that as well?
2: We're we're definitely working towards facilitating that and, and supporting those concepts, but. Uh... I'll tell you, still have way more customers that just want to see increased value within existing investments versus quickly jumping to the next paradigm shift that's going to happen. You know, maybe in ten years from now. So, uh, I think it's it's valuable, but it's still really early days. And if you look at any any of the technology, especially in the enterprise you know, serverless and and lambdas are going to have to go through their own sort of evolution and maturity in regards to security and policy management and governance. And I hate throwing out all those terms, but it is the reality of, of doing stuff with, within the enterprise. Yeah.
0: Right? The real world of serverless, right? Yeah. I mean, like that, It's the serverless, not in production, serverless in production. Yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. So stuffy uh, we, we've talked a lot today. I'm sure we've missed things, um, what, what are some of the, the bigger points that uh, you'd like to cover with us today? Because we're kind of running out of time. We want to be mindful of, of your of your schedule as well.
2: Yeah, thanks, all well, I, 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 I would just say simply, you know, not for, for customers especially, not to be afraid and to, to just, you know, go ahead and at least make the decision to change, right? There's a lot of different places that, that they can start and at least moving in that direction uh, is better than not at all, right? So... Um, yeah, get out there. I mean, it's a great time to be in technology, too, for for, for anyone that's considering it. Um, I've, I've seen the various sort of phases over the last 20 years, um, and this is actually a really great time to be working with systems and code and, and everything. So,
1: Okay. Um, one thing that I, that I did see uh, was a customer use case utilizing agile IoT powered by DCOS, and I'm like, wow. That's a lot of buzzwords uh, in one, in one <laughs> sentence, but tell us what that looks like. What does the IoT world mean to DCOS?
2: Yeah, well, the reality is it's, it's um, inevitably, yes, a marketing term that's designed to simplify something potentially more complicated. But really, really what that comes down to is, in my mind, just the next generation of analytics, uh, different different implementation than, say, big data or, or how you're doing it, right? More in real time, maybe at larger scale, uh, f- both scale in just the sheer amount of data, but also the, the number of systems that you're collecting information from, right? Um, and talking about data centers not getting smaller, uh, we're starting to see the desire to implement quote-unquote data centers within devices, right? I mean, car, your car... In, in the next few years, if not already, has probably more chips than you know. Small data centers had 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, I know I got in tech, starting an ISP. Three servers was huge. <laughs> you know, so uh, physically yeah, huge. That was probably yeah. a rack, wasn't yeah, it? It was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's it in a nutshell. I mean, and and again, we we're, we're sort of accelerating customers' ability to implement IoT, if you will, or analytics by Um, getting out of the having to do the groundwork of laying the foundation and the infrastructure and then deploy the different technologies and figure out how to manage them. We're kind of getting them that basis already, and then they could just go ahead and focus on doing what they should be doing is building the business applications on top of the core platform.
0: And in speaking of customers, one of the things we love to hear, uh, especially as an individual, whenever I meet with customers Mm -hmm. and they're like, well, we're doing this and this and we're trying this, and I'm like, Okay, you just blew my mind. That's really cool, and I had no idea using our technology to do that. As you do things, either alliances side or customer side, do you have customers that are either doing something you're like, well, that wasn't a use case I thought about for DCOS, but that's awesome? Or have you had somebody come in from an alliances side and you're like, I had no idea you would think of us as a partner, that's also awesome. So are either of those something you can help us with?
2: Yeah, and I'm trying to see if I could think of a specific example. I mean, definitely... Because um, when, you, when you think about our technology, it, it is a broad platform, and that's good and bad, right? It's, it, it's great because there's any number of, of value propositions that you can you can provide to somebody. But that's also uh, the catch-22 is that it, it could prevent you from figuring out or doing um, a single value prop really, really well. So more often than not, we have deferred to partners in the ecosystem to come with various specific use cases. Um, but I would say... Uh, the, the the most interesting was hearing like traditional vendors want to come to leverage our platform for deploying their technology too, right? When you just were like, why would you want to do that? And then you hear customers and again, it just goes down to just the core value proposition and, and they don't care really about what technology they're deploying. They're like, I just want that value in my data center. That's it. Or with my projects that I'm doing. So figure it out. <laughs> that's awesome. So yeah, that's that's usually the the, the most interesting. And those are usually the, mo- the trickiest, right? Because you're dealing with a lot of uh, either antiquated technology or, or technology that's uh, uh, carrying a lot of stuff with it that you got to figure out. Yeah, that's great. I, I mean, I do. I love those. I love those kind of stories. So uh, I could
0: see your, your handlers are getting a little anxious. Uh, they've got things for you to do. So we are going to do that with respect to time. When you said when you said traditional vendors, um, are you talking about traditional uh, like traditionally based businesses, or are you talking about traditional vendors in the uh, IT world, such as the Dell EMC? Like me, I just want to differentiate you know, it both. Real quick.
2: Both, both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's traditional traditional customers, um, you know, oil and gas. Per yeah. say, and you're just like, really? You're but for them, what what's interesting again? Going talking about like mainframe systems earlier really that's sort of the core value prop that they are now able to get only doing so with open systems right systems that can support a broader range of technology whereas mainframes were very closed obviously very expensive diminishing domain expertise Um, so that's all like those technology leaders might look at it as like oh it's just a way to get off one platform or another right or a clustering technology so uh, oil and gas does a tremendous amount of data analysis right um, so for them they're just like oh we just want another platform for, for doing data analysis and hey it's cheaper right uh, some of that's also been forced by the lower gas or oil prices uh, over the last five years and a need to disrupt themselves right to be more efficient so interesting how that works out.
0: Yeah it's nice you're usually pretty creative when you're short on I mean like I can there's a lot of things I've eaten when I didn't have a lot of money right so. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so that's awesome well again uh, they're getting really nervous so your handlers we're gonna get you out of here you know I appreciate I appreciate you being here and frankly uh, you know I, I do want to say you know as we wrap this up uh, a huge shout out to our community you know the hot out community uh, specifically you know Amanda Katona uh, and Josh Bernstein Jonas Wasland, yeah. everybody uh, every, I mean I left off names of so that doesn't mean I don't love you in the Dell EMC code community you know they've been very supportive of us we very we appreciate you they got us together with you yeah. uh, and it got the information to the people, so that they can all enjoy it. Excellent. Uh, you know, so uh, again, we've got you on Twitter. Uh, yep. We're what's your what's your hand? the Ink. Awesome. <laughs> um, and we always like to ask, reading whether it's blogs, anything like that. Do you have something that doesn't have to be work related? Do you have something right now? And I'm not a reader, so don't worry. I like you know I read like the back of the shampoo bottle. That's about it. So, like, are you reading? Is there anything you're reading right now you'd like to share with people?
2: I I wish I was. I've been so busy. I've been actually doing um, a ton of travel internationally. Well, I actually, one something I am reading. I'm actually uh, trying to pick up uh, Chinese. So that's kind oh, of wow. interesting. Yes. Yeah, just get it's like get one some of the hardest languages You, you in the know, world, you know, it's it? actually uh, that's what I thought. But at a foundation level, it's actually quite simple. You know, uh-huh. if you don't have to memorize all the symbols, just learning to converse. Uh, it's very logical um, and makes a lot more sense than, than English, actually. So. And what
0: are you using? Are you, are you using, uh, what is that, on my uh, um, a Duolingo or are you using something else? I,
2: I've used Duolingo for other languages. So I'm, I'm uh, uh, native. Uh, my my culture is uh, Greek and German, so I've used that to just keep up a little bit on Greek and, and even Spanish. I learned in high school. Um, but there's uh, they don't have Chinese, unfortunately, in there, so I had to pick up uh, the, the counterpart called Hello Chinese. So it's... Basically, like Duolingo, but just specifically for Chinese. Yeah, it's a really that cool sound, app. Yeah, that sounds
0: like fun. Yeah, it's yeah. a that sounds like, a, frankly, I, I just was I literally just watched a uh, video on YouTube uh, lit like this past weekend about like this. Uh, it's a polygod, I think that's which, which, what you are, right? You yeah. speak a couple of different languages where he speaks like a million languages. He goes to like uh, ethnically diverse stores, like basically ethnic stores with a bunch of foods. Yeah, and he goes to the different aisles. And when somebody's in there, he literally talks to them in their language and their wow. eyes are like they're they're, they're <laughs> they go. You know they, they, that doesn't translate well on podcasts. They stare at him with really big eyes, and they're <laughs> completely surprised, and then they get this huge smile. Uh, I bet it's gonna be really cool when, you like, as you're traveling in China and you're I talking to so, people, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. gonna be—you'll get those great exact same faces. So everybody, go learn Chinese. <laughs> um, in the meantime, this was awesome. Thank you so much for spending. <laughs> yeah Look <laughs> at you, Brent. Yeah, you're so you're so diverse. Of uh, that. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, again, I'm Brian Carpenter. I'm Brent Piatti. Asathi, thank you so much for joining us on the Hot On.